2: Hi, I'm Kathy spelled with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. This is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Joplin,
1: Missouri. According to a friend of mine from college who grew up there, Joplin is a small village in Southwest Missouri. A city of only 50,000 residents, Jomo, as it's sometimes known, (laughs) still has a small town feel with a thriving art scene and a downtown that is enjoying a revitalization of its century old buildings. But 28 years ago, Joplin was home to a young woman whose death turned out to be more than it appeared.
2: On the evening of April 25th, 1993, worried parents called the Joplin Police Department asking for a welfare check on their 21-year-old daughter, Christy Kelly. Christy had a two-year-old daughter, and the parents were watching her, but she was several hours late picking her up, which was very out of character. When police arrived at Christy's apartment, there was no response when they knocked, so they forced their way in. After searching the apartment, to their horror, the officers found Christy floating face down in the bathtub. According to police, it was clear that she'd been in
1: the water for a while based on her wrinkled fingertips and the way her knees were positioned made it impossible to think that she'd fallen asleep while taking a bath. It really looked like somebody had almost picked her up and put her face down in the bathtub but because their legs were too long, they were of course bent at the knees with the feet being up above the bathtub against the tile. Police also made note that other than having to initially force their way in, there appeared to be no other signs of forced entry into the apartment. According to the Kansas City Star, the case was assigned to the Tri-State Major Case Squad, which was comprised of police officers from Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma.
2: Dr. Daryl Swank performed the autopsy and found that Christie had suffered a severe blow to her forehead that caused a deep laceration, but that wasn't her cause of death. She had vomit in her nose and mouth and swelling in her lungs, so Dr. Swank determined that Christie had died from drowning. Police immediately launched an investigation and discovered that Christie was 19 years old when she had married 32 year old Doyle Kelly. They had been married for fewer than two years and had a daughter together. The relationship had ended bitterly about two months before she was killed. Christy had taken their daughter with her and moved into her apartment and had started dating her landlord, a guy named Mike. The police were interested in interviewing Mike and of course they were because she was dating a new guy and she wound up dead. Also remember there was no sign of forced entry and he was a landlord so he would have her key. So he was a prime interest to the police, however, Mike had been out of town at the time of Christie's death, and the police were able to verify his alibi. During his interview with the police, Mike also told them that Christie had confided in him a lot of details about her relationship with her husband, Doyle, and how she was afraid of him and how he had threatened to kill himself if they didn't get back together. Armed with this information, investigators talked to Doyle about where he was when Christie was killed. During their investigation, Doyle told police that he and Christy had arranged to meet at 2 p.m. on April 24th, which was the day before she was found, in order to exchange, you know, items of property. Right. During the course of their breakup. He told police officers that he had seen her in front of her apartment building at 2 p.m. like they had agreed upon, and then he went straight to a party where they were having a pig roast. He didn't get there right away though, because he got lost and had to drive around for a couple of hours before he found it.
1: In a city of fifty thousand people, you're telling me hours? Exactly. Yeah. Like this,
2: it, it he, he lies poorly. Smells faithfully. bad already. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, within days of Christie's death, the police searched Doyle Kelly's house, and according to an article in the Kansas City Star, that search led police to find several items that they wanted to compare to the crime scene where Christie's death had occurred. And some of these items they seized were purportedly linked to the death of a young woman named Diana who had died in Joplin three years prior. The items police discovered during their search of Doyle Kelly's house aren't covered in detail in any of the documents that we found, but Diana had been found dead in the passenger seat of a car that was in a parking lot of a paint store. Her autopsy concluded that she had died from respiratory failure, but the cause was undetermined. Christy and Diana were not related, but they did have several things in common. Both had recently been separated, both had recently started dating, and both had been married to Doyle Kelly.
1: Nine years before, Christy Kelly had been found dead in her bathtub. Joel Kelly, who was 25 at the time, had married his first wife, 18-year-old Diana. They had been married for six years when Diana decided she'd had enough and left him. She took her four-year-old son and went to stay at her mom's house while she looked for an apartment. On the morning of September 26, 1990, a paint store employee noticed a car in the parking lot. He thought it was strange because it was early and no one was at the store, so there shouldn't have been a car there. Inside, he saw the body of a young woman lying in the passenger seat. She was the only person in the car. He tried to knock on the window to wake her up, but she never moved, so he tried the car door, and it was unlocked. When he opened the door, he noticed that she had blood right under her nose and on the back of her hand, kind of like when you try and, like, wipe blood off your nose. Right, right. When he went to check her pulse on her neck, she didn't have one, and he realized that the body was cold. Too cold. Too cold. At that point, he called 911. In the car, Joplin police found a woman's purse that had an ID in it, and the picture matched the woman in the passenger seat, and they were able to identify her as 24-year-old Diana Kelly. The address on the license led to the home of her husband, Doyle Kelly. Doyle told the police that he and Diana had been separated for about two weeks, but had agreed to meet at 9 p.m. the night before her body was found. Doyle told police that she didn't meet him as they'd agreed to, and he'd called Diana's mother, Virginia Stepp, twice that night asking for Diana. Doyle had also filed a missing persons report concerning Diana in the morning before her body was found. Mrs. Stepp, Diana's mother, confirmed Diana had been living at her house with her four year old son for two weeks before her death, and she also confirmed that Doyle Kelly had called her twice on the night of September 25th, as he'd told
2: investigators. It's super lame that he's not even living with his wife, and he's the one who calls it into police as a missing person. And it had been, what, eight hours? Yeah, if. And, exactly. and so how would he know she wasn't where well, she was supposed to be? Well, it was more than be. eight hours if they were... Oh, actually, no, because they were supposed to meet at 9 p.m. that night. So, but it's it's strange to me. He has no idea what her, her new schedule is, or who right. she's seeing, or not seeing. And maybe or, he
1: wasn't a priority, and she didn't right. want to meet him at 9 o'clock. Exactly. So, according to an episode of the TV show Exhumed, which is a new TV show on Oxygen. It started in January of 2021, and it's from executive producers Kelly Ripa and Mark Consuelos. This is their first foray into true crime.
2: Oh. I really think we need to meet. Maybe we need to reach out to them and be like, hey, listen to this, (laughs) and then invite us to your mansion, please. Thank you. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or their local bar. I'll take either one. According to this episode, Diana's friends had told police that she had started dating a man named Richard who was obsessed with her. Richard was very possessive and constantly bought her things and sent her gifts. This was in the two weeks
2: after she left her husband? Yes. Oh, that's super creepy. Super creepy.
1: So yeah. creepy, in fact, that on the show, Missouri Assistant Attorney General David Truman said that Richard was described as, quote, weird and creepy and someone who would project relationships far into the future when they had just started dating someone else.
2: That's such a bad sign.
1: <laughs> Gift of fear. Totally. That's such a bad sign. Gavin De Becker, get the book, read it. You mm-hmm. need to know these signs. For sure. But according to her friends, Diana just wasn't that into him. One gift in particular stood out. It was a necklace with a pendant of St. Christopher. Joplin Police Detective Sergeant Keith Meyer said that Richard had wanted her to wear the medal at all times, especially when she was with him. And Diana really only wore it around him because she had told a friend that Richard got really upset when she didn't wear it. It's two weeks and this guy's getting possessive and telling you what to wear. Right, but at some point... You can't have that much invested. As a result of what police had been told, Richard became the focus of the police investigation. Richard first told police that they were just casual friends, but during that same exact conversation, he said that he wanted to commit suicide so that he could be with Diana in death. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just the creep factor keeps going up. Super creepy. So police said that he gave them an alibi with a lot, perhaps too many details. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, of course, always raises a red flag with police anyway, because liars tend to give too many details, thinking that they're showing that they're telling the truth because they have all these details packed into it. Totally. So not only that, but he had a period of about 20 minutes that he couldn't account for that night, despite all of the painstakingly annoying details that he gave to the police.
2: I had a friend in high school who was a crazy liar, and I always knew when she was lying, because she was giving me too much information. Oh, nice. Yeah, like, it, but it's like she would spin a story and, you know, it's like, no, I know you're lying to me right now, you know? <laughs> and how would you ever
1: trust her or want to confide in her? You just never know who she's presenting to you. Yeah, no. She was fun, but
2: that was it and it was done. Surprisingly to police,
1: he agreed to take a polygraph. But even more surprisingly was that he passed it with no signs of deception, not on any question at all. So as a result the police cleared him of any wrongdoing. According to court records, Dr. James Haberman, who conducted Diana's autopsy, said that he had found several areas of hemorrhaging on Diana's neck and back. Dr. Haberman concluded that Diana died from respiratory failure, but it could have had any number of causes. So pending the results of toxicology tests, the cause of death was listed as undetermined. On November 21st, 1990, police received the toxicology report back. Diana had traces of an aspirin substitute, tranquilizers, and cocaine in her system, but none of the levels, either individually or together, were high enough to have been fatal. So the cause of death stayed undetermined. Doyle Kelly's case stayed open, even though the trail had gone cold. And nine months later, Doyle Kelly had himself a brand new
2: bride. So here we are a few years later, he has two wives, two separations and two deaths in two and a half years. Investigators did not believe this was coincidental. No kidding. If Doyle Kelly had murdered Christie like they thought in the bathtub, it was reasonable to conclude that he could have killed his first wife, Diana. Now that new possibilities had emerged for Diana Kelly's cold case, prosecutors decided it was necessary to exhume the body. An Associated Press article that ran in the Springfield News Leader in May of 93 quoted Jasper County Prosecutor David Daly, essentially saying he thought he was justified in exhuming the body of Diana in order to determine if she, too, was the victim of homicide. And I got to say, I love this. Like, I know that exhuming bodies is an incredibly rare thing, but I love when investigators and prosecutors don't want to leave a victim behind.
1: Absolutely. You know, even
2: though it's been three years
1: very true but it's
2: also the chance of this being a coincidence is slim to none it's ridiculous absolutely especially because you know he supposedly like agreed to meet each of them you right know what i mean he, you know he was supposed to meet diana at 9 p.m and he was supposed to meet christy at 2 p.m
1: covering his tracks in case somebody saw them together and he could say this is why yeah no
2: so I, but i love that even though it's been three years they're like we want to exhume her. We want to see if she was a victim as well.
1: And not only that, but I also imagine that actually asking families to let them exhume their loved ones is probably a last step because that has to be super hard on the family to unbury somebody that they've already
2: buried. Right. I'm almost surprised that she wasn't cremated because if he did kill her oh, and he, he would was want technically, her cremated. yeah, he was married to her at the time. I'm sure he could have insinuated himself with the mortuary. Absolutely. But he didn't. Anyway, Joplin police captain Richard Schumann said that the move to exhume Diana Kelly's body had been delayed by legal research. He said they wanted to make sure they followed proper procedures in seeking a court order because, quote, we don't want any loopholes. If it takes several weeks to find out how Missouri law treats this thing, so be it. And basically he's signaling there, hey, we want to do this right. We do not, if we find anything, any evidence on this body, we do not want to give the defendant any reason to have the evidence excluded at trial.
1: Or have a a conviction overturned.
2: Correct. So, Prosecutor David Daly filed a request on behalf of the county coroner, Robert Nell Jr., and was reported as having said that he and his staff had learned that getting a body exhumed wasn't easy. From what I read, it took about three months of court wrangling. So apparently when you exhume a body, at least in Missouri at this time, you have to file a court order requesting it on behalf of the coroner. And, um, so does
1: the coroner then have the final say on whether it can be exhumed?
2: No, no, you're supposed to, you're so supposed what were to, the
1: what were the three months of legal wrangling
2: then? So here's my understanding. My understanding is that they go to the family and he, and the husband was next of kin because she'd only been separated for two weeks. Correct. They weren't divorced. And he said, no, you can't exhume, you can't exhume Diana. Sorry. And then they went to her parents I think, was it her father specifically they went to? It was her father specifically. Yes. And so, and he said, heck yes, you can. So what happens is they file this motion in court to exhume the body. Doyle objects. Doyle Kelly says, no, no, no. It's too far in time anyway. There's no evidence you're going to find. and And I don't want my, you know, I don't want Diana unburied. I want her to rest in peace. Do not do this. My understanding was that the prosecutor filed a petition, the judge granted him permission to exhume the body, and then Doyle Kelly said, no, sorry. A- and he filed- he tried to get the court to stop? Exactly. And, and How'd that go? Yeah, the, the court of appeal said, we're not interrupting the process. It took that long to get the body exhumed. And so here we are in August. They exhumed Diana's body just four months from the death of Christie.
1: And you're right, in legal terms, that's nothing. Exactly.
2: After all that legal wrangling, four months to the day of Christie's murder, the body of Diana is exhumed and she is given a second autopsy.
1: One month later, in September of 1993, Doyle Kelly was arrested for the murder of Diana Kelly. At this time, it was only Diana who he was charged with killing. But what's interesting that I read is that at the time that this happened, when he was arrested, he was already engaged to be married again. So this is how many months
2: after Christie's death? Like
1: five. Well, at least five, because it said when he was arrested that he was engaged. I don't know when he actually got engaged to her. It was a lovely young woman named Jill. How young? I was going to say, when I say young, I mean young. She was 21 years old.
2: He sure likes him young.
1: He does. He keeps, he was 34 at the time. Uh, So of course he keeps getting older. They stay the same age. Exactly. But I got to tell you, Kath, like she needed to go out and buy a lottery ticket because that was her lucky day. Her lucky
2: day. I have
1: no doubt she would have been killed next.
2: Yeah. She would have become unhappy with him and left him and she would have been victim number three.
1: Absolutely. At a hearing in November of 1993, witnesses had testified that Diana had attended a narcotics anonymous meeting the night before she died and had told her friends at the meeting that she was
2: meeting Doyle immediately after. I'm guessing that was probably a preliminary hearing. So what's the difference? Uh, Well, an arraignment is where you plead guilty or not guilty. And a preliminary hearing is it's a hearing that occurs well before trial and the prosecution basically puts on minimal evidence to meet the elements of the crime. And the judge says, yep, there's probable cause to hold this defendant over. In other words, this defendant probably, or there's probable cause to say this defendant committed a crime,
1: but they don't have to do a preliminary hearing. Is this them like testing the waters to make sure that they have evidence?
2: Different States have different rules. And I think I read somewhere that at this time in Missouri for Capital felonies, they did do preliminary hearings.
1: Okay. Oh, that's Um, true. It was a death penalty case. Correct.
2: And I just know that, you know, different states have different rules, you know, but it's a good time for the defense to see what the prosecution witnesses look like. And so the judge decides whether or not there's probable cause. And if there's probable cause, they set a trial date. A little side note when my dad first became an attorney, he was really hungry and he would have taken any kind of case. And, um, He had somebody come to him and say, hey, I was accused of X, Y, and Z, whatever crime it was, and um, I want you to represent me. And and my dad's like, look, I'm brand new. The guy's like, I don't care. I trust you. I didn't do it. I know who did it, but I'm not going to tell you.
1: Because they were afraid of them?
2: Yes. Street justice? Totally. And so my dad's like, okay. So they, they showed up at the preliminary hearing, and he saw the witness in the hallway and he went to speak with this woman and he said, can you look around the hallway and see if you saw the man who committed this crime? She looks around and she's like, I, I, I you know, I'm not sure I, I don't remember. And then he points specifically to his client, and says, does this guy look familiar to you at all? Does he ever, have you ever seen him before? Is this, you know? And she's like, you know, I just, I don't know. I just don't know if I could, you know, recognize the person and she was not the victim by the way, she was just a witness. And so um, anyway, so they go into the preliminary hearing The prosecution puts her on the stand and she testifies in a consistent way uh, to what she had represented to my dad in the hallway. So the case got dismissed. Uh, The prosecutor must have been unhappy. Right. I'm sure he was. And so um, it was a situation where there was cross-racial identification and sometimes that can be very difficult, but she was honest. And thank goodness she was though. Yes. You always know that
1: there are people who they don't want to say that they forgot. They don't want to cause a problem for the prosecutor or somebody like that, but tell the truth.
2: Yeah. Just tell the truth. And so, you know, so my dad was, he said, I'll always remember that my very first criminal case. I bet I you trust know, your dad got dismissed at the prelim. <laughs> 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 then he went on to do civil. <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> probably because of that. Yeah, exactly. Now, after this preliminary hearing in November. In January, the police actually dropped the charges against him for the murder of Diana Kelly. Apparently, one of the witnesses who had testified at that preliminary hearing refused to cooperate with prosecutors going forward. So I don't know who this person was. There wasn't any kind of information in any of the court documents or the newspapers we read, but whoever it was, it was significant enough that they dropped the charges. Four months later in May, which is just a little over a year after Christy Kelly was murdered. Doyle Kelly was charged with first-degree murder for Christie this time. And then fewer than three weeks later, they added first-degree murder charges for Diana. Although at this point, they didn't specify whether or not the witness was cooperating again or if they had any additional evidence, which I'm guessing they don't have to do unless they choose to do a preliminary hearing.
2: They don't have to reveal their strategy as to why. I'm just happy that they were able to get a Miranda on both charges. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither, (laughs) despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone, and so do you.
1: As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German, and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall, and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered.
2: And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation.
1: They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app.
2: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off
0: So, after all that court
2: process, four months to the day they found Christie's body in the bathtub, Diana's body was exhumed and underwent a second autopsy.
1: One month later, in September of 1993, Doyle Kelly was arrested for murder. The trial began on October 25th, 1994, after having been moved from Joplin to Columbia, Missouri, which was about 250 miles away, because defense attorneys successfully argued that Doyle Kelly could not get a fair trial in
2: Joplin, which I agree with. Yeah, that's that's a no-brainer. Prosecutors
1: also decided to try the two murder cases together in a single trial, something called Joinder, since they were obviously linked, which the defense fought hard against. Right.
2: Unsuccessfully. Yeah. And if you're a defense attorney, it's just sort of like the concept of compound evidence. If, if I'm trying to prove that you killed your wife in a bathtub, that single incident in and of itself is going to be conceptually easier to prove if you're also saying something sketchy happened with his first wife. Right. It makes sense. Right. And so, yeah, defendants fought hard against it and they lost.
1: Yeah. Remember back at the beginning, we were talking about Diana dating the man named Richard and that he had given her that necklace with the St. Christopher medal on it as a gift and was very insistent about her wearing it.
2: Right. According to
1: court documents, Deborah Stout, who was a friend of Diana Kelly's, testified that Diana had visited her at her home on the evening before she died. During that visit, which occurred around 5 p.m., Stout saw that Diana was wearing a gold chain and a St. Christopher medal.
2: So this is the, this is 4 hours before she is supposed to meet Doyle Kelly. Correct. Okay.
1: 2 days after Diana's death, Deborah Stout said that she visited Doyle Kelly at his home. While she was there, Deborah said that she saw Doyle take Diana's gold chain and St. Christopher medal to the basement and smashed it, I believe with a hammer. Stout was also asked if Doyle had any explanation about where he'd gotten the jewelry, and she answered that Doyle had said it had been given to him by the police or someone at the mortuary, he just wasn't sure.
2: What a clown, yeah, I mean doing that in front of somebody if you're going to have Who your was little
1: friends with her too, right, Diana's mom, Mrs. Stepp, testified that she was present at the mortuary when mortuary employees gave Diana's jewelry to Doyle. She remembered picking out a ring to put on Diana's hand, but said that she did not see a St. Christopher medal among any of the items given
2: to Doyle during
1: his testimony. Doyle Kelly admitted that a few days after Diana's death he had her St. Christopher medal.
2: So he testified in his own defense. Yes, he did. <laughs> Either, again, you are innocent or you are a narcissist.
1: <laughs> I think probably it goes to the latter for yes. most of them. Yes. I understand the
2: impulse if you're innocent because you just want to be able to explain something away. I completely understand. And so many people, so many defense attorneys are like, don't do it, don't do it. And their clients say, I want to, I want to. And, and what the client wants goes. But A first impulse is always to say, no, no, no. There's always something that can hurt you. But again, like if you are innocent, I completely see wanting to do it.
1: But if you're innocent, you listen to your attorney too. If you're a narcissist, you don't.
2: You're like, oh, I can do this. I'm so smart. I'm smarter than all of you. I got all the answers. And really, that's just the two of us. It wouldn't have been him. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: during his testimony, he had admitted that a few days after her death, he had her St. Christopher medal. And he also admitted that he had smashed the medal and then threw it away. He then testified that someone at the mortuary had given him this item of jewelry.
2: Okay, so you remember Dr. Haberman. He was the doctor who did the initial autopsy on Diana, and he noted that she had hemorrhaging on her face and neck. He concluded that she died of respiratory failure, but he didn't know the cause. So he takes the stand again at trial, and of course the defense is happy to have him there because he's like, yep, I examined her, and here we are. However, Dr. Jill Gould, a pathologist, conducted the second autopsy of Diana Kelly after she was exhumed, and she too testified. She found that Diana was the victim of a homicide. She found the ligament from Diana's hyoid bone had been pulled apart and also discovered a bruise on the back of Diana's esophagus. Dr. Gould concluded that Diana's death was caused by soft ligature strangulation.
1: So I saw in a July 1993 article in the Springfield News Leader that what Dr. Gould had said is that bruises can still form four to five days after somebody has died and being buried for three years because of the embalming process would have made them still evident if they were there. And that's one of the reasons she was able to determine the bruise was on the esophagus. It's incredible it is I mean I
2: didn't I didn't know that and that's 1992 technology. yeah, that's crazy. Dr. Gould also conducted a second autopsy on Christy Kelly in which she found several bruises in various locations. Dr. Gould testified that these bruises were caused by blunt impact from multiple directions which would have been inconsistent with a fall in the bathtub. Dr. Gould further confirmed Dr. Swank's finding that drowning was the cause of Christie's death.
1: They also had said, too, that not only the multiple directions of the bruising, but that, remember, you had talked about the large laceration on the front of her forehead? Yes. She was facing the wrong way from the faucet for a fall in the bathtub to have been the cause of that
2: laceration. So, in other words, her feet were at the side where the faucet was. Okay. It's interesting that Dr. Gould testified that it was strangulation from a soft ligature because at the trial, this guy testifies. His name is Lonnie Bell, and he's a jailhouse witness. Snitches and
1: get stitches. <laughs> that's exactly
2: <laughs> right. And he testified that for approximately three days in June of 94, while Doyle Kelly was in jail, they were in the same area of the jail. And that Doyle admitted killing both Diana and Christy by strangling them. Oh, yeah. And this was like super controversial because, I mean, jailhouse informants, I mean, they're so shady. Yeah, they're, they're
1: out for themselves. Talk about narcissists. But apparently there was something different about this guy. The prosecuting attorney, David Daly, had said that the reason he actually believed him, where he usually doesn't deal with jailhouse informants, is because the information he had about the strangulation and some of the other details were details that had never been released to the press and therefore only could have found those out if he had been talking to the murderer himself.
2: Bell testified that in jail, Doyle Kelly told him he was mad at Diana, so he picked up a dish towel and choked her out. And he apparently told this jailhouse informant, Bell, that Diana had asthma so he could, quote, probably get away with it, unquote. He was angry over her decision to date someone else. So soon after they had separated, he was jealous and he choked her out. So the fact that Bell testified it was a dish towel was consistent with soft ligature strangulation. And he also talked about her having a, uh, what do you call it when you have asthma? Uh, An inhaler. Exactly. And so... Oh, how would he have known that? None of of that was released to the public. Also, during this testimony, Bell had
1: admitted that prosecutors offered to reduce his charges on felony forgery in exchange for his testimony. So Doyle's attorney, who of course is trying to do anything he can to cast suspicion away from his client, Mm -hmm. said, quote, people have tried to buy their way out of jail for some time now. The evidence I heard today is not worthy of belief. End quote. I'm telling you that if he has information that's never been released to the media, how is that not
2: worthy of belief? I know, but I also get sick of like these jailhouse informants are just so shady. Yeah, they are. You know, but honestly, but but the dish towel thing, I mean, it's consistent with Dr. Gould's findings. Again, it's up to the jury to hear the facts and decide what's true. So after the prosecution puts on their case, the defense gets to put on theirs. And frankly, I didn't see a lot of newspaper articles about the defense. So only a couple things stood out in my mind. And one was that... Members of Narcotics Anonymous testified that Kelly had been a member of the group and had been clean and sober for six years so that it would be good if he could go and counsel drug addicted inmates in prison.
1: As opposed to the death penalty, they're saying give him
2: life because he can help people in prison. Exactly. Wow. So I thought, oh, this is so interesting. They're not even pretending That he's innocent. Yeah, they're basically saying, just don't kill him. Right. Don't kill him. We know you're
1: going to have victim. Make sure he winds up in prison.
2: Exactly. Sadly, the defense put on Diana and Doyle Kelly's son. (gasps) How old was he at that time? He was eight years old. Oh, that breaks my heart. Isn't that so sad? So he's quoted in an Associated Press article that ran in the Kansas City Star as saying, quote, he's a nice dad, unquote. And asked if he wanted to continue having a relationship with his father. This little boy replies. Actually I just want him to come home. And then jurors and people in the gallery started bawling. Of course they did. I know. I mean. (sighs) I get why they
1: did it in the sense that. They wanted the sympathy for the dad. Totally. But as an eight year old. Who's not only lost his mother, but then lost his stepmother in the span of three years. Yeah. Like he was four when his mom was killed.
2: Yeah. He he was four when Christy became his, his step-mom. stepmom. And so, yeah. So And his... then was six
1: when he lost his second mother for all intents and purposes. Totally.
2: I, I just the only thing that kid is gonna want is to have his family. Right. And so here's the last one standing, dad, and uh and
1: he's not gonna have any way of even thinking that his dad did anything. Never. He just wants his dad or someone there with him. Yeah, he just knows that he loves his dad. My dad died when I was growing up, as you know. Yep. And our greatest fear was being orphaned. And the same thing has to be done with that kid. I get why they did it in a sense, but that that's just, that's tragic. It's That's so compounding sad. the tragedy. It's so sad.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree
1: 100%. After four days of trial, the jury found Doyle Kelly guilty of first-degree murder of both Diana Kelly and Christy Kelly. On October 29th, 1994, the day after Doyle Kelly had been found guilty, the jury deliberated for only one and a half hours before reporting that it wasn't able to decide between the death penalty or life without parole. The judge retired to his chambers to go over it and after a little while came back and announced that the sentence would be life in prison without the possibility of parole.
2: Okay, this cracked me up when I heard it. Because when you told me that you had uncovered this information, Uh I said, look up on the calendar and tell me if it's a Friday. And it was. (laughs) And it was. Because normally if a jury is deadlocked only after one and a half hours, the judge is like, get your butts back in those chambers and figure it out. And so the goal is that the jury comes to a determination after serious deliberation. But when I when I heard it was after one and a half hours, the judge retired to his chambers. Like, I know he was like, um, yeah, I got a five o'clock tea time. It's a Friday. I'm going to eat a banana. I'm going to pretend to mull this over. And then I'm going to give the guy the sentence that is the least harsh. I mean, life without the possibility of parole is pretty harsh, but.
1: But it's not the death penalty. He's not. Yeah.
2: It's like he knew that he was going to be overturned if he took it away from the jury and then ordered death.
1: And it also didn't actually note whether or not the one and a half hours included a lunch break. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> exactly. Doyle Kelly's attorney winds up appealing the verdicts on a bunch of different grounds. And I'm not going to get into all of them. However, one of them was that the prosecution had joined the two cases and, and tried them together. So according to Missouri law, you can do that if the acts constitute the same or similar character. And so the defense attorney is like, hey, these aren't the same. It was three years prior. One's in the bathtub. One's in a car. Blah, blah, blah. And the court of appeals like, hey, they were married to the same guy. He set up an appointment with both of them. You know, they've both
1: been separated. They both started dating the
2: whole thing. And so the court's like, yeah, Joinder was fine. The trial court was fine in making that determination. But ultimately, the Court of Appeal overturned the conviction for Christy Kelly. And they said Doyle Kelly gets a new trial as to her murder. Why? And it's because the court admitted hearsay over the defense objections. That was so prejudicial. I mean, first of all, there's n- hearsay is basically when you repeat something somebody else says. Because ideally, every single witness in court comes with firsthand information. So hearsay is not admissible, except in certain situations. And so when, you, when you're when you an attorney and you want hearsay admitted, you have to carve out the exception and argue it to the court. So this judge allowed two statements in that were extremely prejudicial and, and deemed to be hearsay with no exceptions. And one of them was her friend, Christie's friend, Kathy Weston. Another Kathy? Another Kathy. <laughs> the place is lousy with them. Um, with respect to Christie's and Doyle's marriage. It was, question, did she indicate whether the defendant had responded to that in any fashion? Answer, yes. She told me that he said if I couldn't have her, no one would. Okay. And then Dana Profits, another one of Christie's friends, was asked a question. Question, and what did she say happened in their next conversation? Answer, in the course of their conversation, she said Doyle was very upset over seeing Mike. And told her he'd just as soon see her dead as with anyone else. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So these two friends are basically repeating a conversation that a dead girl told them. And again, there are certain exceptions, but these two didn't meet the exceptions. As And as you can imagine, the Court of Appeal was like, wow, not only are these hearsay, but they're extraordinarily prejudicial.
1: And honestly, they could be gossip.
2: Exactly. And anyway, so which is why hearsay, you know, it's 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 excluded from so many different. It's inherently untrustworthy. And so the court of appeal said we're going to send Christie's case back down to the trial court so that Doyle Kelly can have a new trial. But he stands convicted of Diana's murder
1: with life without the possibility of parole as his sentence.
2: Exactly. According to the exhumed episode
1: that we've cited several times during this podcast... With her new
2: friends, Mark and Kelly. Our new
1: BFFs, absolutely.
2: <laughs> Who are going to take us on a boat, I think. <laughs> exactly.
1: I think they will. After speaking with Christy's family, the prosecutor's office declined to further pursue the case because they didn't want to go through it again. So the prosecutor's office, they heeded their wishes and they let Doyle's one conviction stand, the one that resulted in the life sentence without the possibility of parole.
2: One thing I want to say is that the parents of the victims became close during the trial. The parents were really pushing hard for the exhumation of Diana and having her case prosecuted along with Christie's. So Wendell Mays, who was the father of Christie Kelly, had some like heartbreaking and perfect quotes when he was interviewed after the murder conviction came down for both of them. He said, quote, I looked up to heaven And when he said guilty, I thought, this is for Christy. There will be no more Christies for him, no more Dianas, not in this lifetime. Paul and I, and Paul was Diana's dad, Paul and I both feel that our daughters would be very proud of us today. I believe if my daughter had the chance, the last words she would have said probably were, my dad will make you pay for this. I love that. I do too. My dad would have said that same thing. You go, dad.
1: Absolutely, and you go, dad. Not only for saying that, because you clearly raised a strong daughter. Yeah,
2: definitely, definitely. Like there is nothing quite like a super dad. Absolutely, super dad. He was.
1: Doyle Kelly was incarcerated at Western Missouri Correctional Center in Cameron, Missouri. In November of 2021, he will be 62 years old, and as we said he will remain in prison for the rest of his life.
2: Exactly where he belongs. Agreed.
1: This is our fourth episode. Can you believe it? I can't. I can't either. In addition to all of the people in the United States listening, we've actually gone international. Mm -hmm. And we have people listening in Canada and Great Britain, Australia, Germany, and El Salvador.
2: I feel very fancy.
1: I do too. If you haven't already followed us on Instagram or joined us on Facebook, please do. We are putting together a Facebook discussion group that we would love to have everybody join so we can talk more about these episodes and anything else you'd like us to talk about. Any
2: questions you have on the backstory of some of the stuff that wasn't able to be in the podcast? Absolutely. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office.